Hello, everybody, and thank you, Janet Lee. That was absolutely super. I just love those songs, and I love your style of playing. And so here we are today with the continuation uh, of some incredibly super deep aspects of Revelation. So last week, we uh, delivered the introduction to the lost book of the Wars of the Gods. The other thing that we are adding to the title is that this lost book of the Wars of the Gods uh, is actually prefaced by a title word called, in, called uh, Interpretation of the Lost Book of the War of the Gods. And so the idea being that instead of having to come back and put the, the book that we are creating here uh, uh, by revitalization, instead of putting it, uh, the, the words in the form that just would need to be interpreted, we're putting it in the form of interpretation. Now, there's a couple incidents that I wanted to share with you before I really get to rolling. And one is uh, about an experience that my wife had this morning. And um, she came down to talk to me about it later. She says, Jerry, I, I, I don't know what to think about this, but she says, I heard an audible voice saying very clearly out loud the word magnificent. And it said that uh, in connection with the word masterpiece. So the word masterpiece three times verbally. And she said, did you have anything on that might have spoken that word? And, and I heard it upstairs. And I says, no, I did not. I think that what that experience was saying is that this book of war, of the law, this lost book of the wars <clears throat> and the message in detail within it is a masterpiece that God is making available to the world. Now, I also had a dream. And I dreamed I was in this building, and this building um, was um, something similar to like a good-sized garage, and uh, the door was open, and there was windows that were open, and uh, there was some people in there with me, my wife and some other per persons, and there were these birds, and there was this one particular bird that I, I knew instantly that it was, uh, it was chosen for a divine uh, messaging. It was a messenger, and it was chosen for this job. And so I was talking to the bird, and I was saying, now, little bird, don't be afraid of anything. I know who you are, and I know what your job is. And uh, when the time comes... You're going to be able to do it, and I will help you get 
to know the time. And the bird looked at me, just really could tell it was concentrating on what I was saying. Well, after uh, uh, some time went by, I knew that it was it was time. And I put this sort of like a a CDV, a, a, a computer disc, down on the, on the floor, and I backed away from it several steps, and I said, okay, it's the time. And, um, and the bird looked at me, and then it flew down on the floor just a few inches away from the disc, and, and I said, you don't have to be afraid. I know what you have to do. I know you are going to take this disc to Turkey. And pretty soon it went over and it picked up this disc in its mouth and it began to fly. But then I noticed it was circling and, uh, and, and I noticed that, oh, somebody had shut the doors and the windows and the bird wouldn't be able to get out. So I said, oh my, this message has got to get out. And I was running outside uh, to open the door from the outside because it had to be open from the outside. And I was hoping that the bird wouldn't crash into the walls or, or something before I was able to get that done. And the dream ended. I, I feel that, you know, that this was a message directly from God. This, uh, this teaching that we've done uh, on... Um, Gyges and Lydia, which is about Gog and Magog, and and carries on through a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about for the next period of time uh, in this uh, interpretation of the lost book of the War of the Gods. I also just want to remind you that in the interpretation process that I am using this method described in Hebrew and of the Strong's Concordance, the Hebrew language side, number 268, Akava, which means solution of riddles. And there are other uh, word derivatives that have a message in it that relate to this Akava and to this Hebrew 268. Like, for instance, the Hebrew in the Strong's Concordance 262, the sense and power of utterance, a door of utterance. Um, root connection 251, Ak, a kindred or brother, beginning with awe and a high. Uh, 258, Akkad, uh, a collective one's thoughts to go one way or another. And 259, Ekhad. Now, Ekhad is a word that has to do with numbers. And that's from also 259, Ekhad is, is also from 258. And it's a number, a united number, or uh, or one. Of course, the word Aleph is the first um, a number name 
of the Hebrew language, and it, um, um, uh, alpha rather, it's the word I want to use, alpha, and it means one. So, this understanding of this whole Akavah and Ekad and, you know, uh, is um, about the mystery of the time and the power of reiteration uh, for code words and expressions like time, times, and a half times. So I just want to remind people of that when they're wondering, you know, how, how, how are these things coming about? Now, um, there's an interesting word that, um, that you might look uh, up in the Strong's. Number 523, um, and it's an alphabetical word. Uh, it, uh, it, it contains a lot of interesting things. I'll just put it that way. I might even minister on that word at some point. But in the meanwhile, you might look it up, uh, you know, uh, uh, with its connection to Aleph and Tav. And uh, <clears throat> last week I, I read to you out of Psalms 139, 17 through 18. And it just really ties in beautifully, that scripture, to the revelation that we are bringing to you from this this Akava solution of the of, uh, solution of the riddles, uh, Psalms one thirty nine seventeen through eighteen. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them. Eighteen verse eighteen, and the other one was verse seventeen. I just read. If I should count them. They are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. So words have a continuity to the revelation of the long truth of life. And uh, it's um, really, really important. L last week I shared with you some of the different uh, numbers, if you count the sum of them, if you if you use the uh, geometrics uh, approach, uh, which I rarely ever do, uh, you can come up with all kinds of words, like uh, I am that I am uh, is 543, uh, uh, a number equaling 543, and uh, if you add it horizontally, it gives you a 12. And um, just a lot of things like that. The key is 528. Uh, Enoch walked 555. So there are so many interesting considerations. Now I want to do uh, a running review of last week's message just a bit. Uh, I can't spend too much time with it. We'll have to come back to some of these things later because of the message that I have to bring you today. But we talked about the swastika, which, of course, everyone, not everyone, but most everyone would remember what the swastika that the, the Germans used during World War II. Uh, that symbol is much older than, Ger than Germany uh, as far as uh, issues of it and, and etc. It's um, based on certain finds uh, 
whether it would be pottery or other things, uh, death mask or other things, uh, they have uh, gauged it uh, with their time measurements to go back to 14,000 years, and it was the first symbol that was ever used that is known on the earth. And, of course, roughly 3,000 years ago, um, they found uh, on coins and pottery uh, the word swastika uh, on ancient things uh, written in a Sanskrit uh, type of form uh, from the ancient city of Troy, which turned out to be in Turkey. So these things are very important for a person to have it down to to know what it is talking about. We talked about this uh, Shalyman, Dr. Shalyman, who found uh, swastikas in his ex excavation at the site of ancient Troy uh, at a time when they said, you know, people didn't believe there was really uh, ancient Troy. They thought it was just a myth. And uh, so um, there's many, many interesting things on, uh, on this uh, subject. Uh, the swastika, as I described to you, uh, has been dispersed and used all over the world. It was originally thought to be a good thing, like good luck, a blessing, uh, peace, you know, things along that line. Um, but we certainly discovered through the, through, through the use of the swastika by Hitler in Germany that there was a dark side to it. But it has dispersion all over the world and is still uh, honored and used as symbols in um, in in religions, you know, like uh, Hindi and Buddha, um, and it, it's dispersed all over the world: Japan, Korea, China, Tibet, India. Uh, I won't read the list again, but uh, it's uh, it's just all over the world, you know, and it's it's just interesting to uh, to understand that. Uh, you know, uh, it has symbolic meanings. The swastika, uh, some say, of the four fly of the floor, four winds uh, of the dragonfly, uh, and uh, is connected uh, even with the uh, ca ca the caduceus. So um, we we will be able to get back and cover some of these things to a greater extent. Uh, but the swastika is the earliest known symbol uh, of the most ancient of the crosses. Um, the Sanskrit, na Sanskrit name of swastika, uh, you know, is, is said to have been in existence uh, long before even the Buddhist religion. Or even before the San, uh, Sanskrit uh, language. So uh, those things are nothing less than, than, than very interesting. We talked, we talked about this tremendous uh, discovery in South Central China and uh, these books uh, 
original book of I Ching and a whole bunch of other uh, books like uh, the classics of the Yellow Emperor and uh, and how that in one of the atlases there was a drawing that depicted uh, where they had spotted a comet the shape of a swastika and that can't be anything but very interesting. So as said, the swastika is over 14,000 years old. And it certainly has uh, a world coverage history. And it was a symbol in ancient Troy and Mycenae. Um, it has uh, been said to uh, represent lightning bolts. Um, it uh, has been used like Hitler used it as a, as a, a symbol of the power of the whirling sun. Uh, when you look down straight um, on its symbol, uh, it looks like uh, the caduceus of the two uh, serpents on the pole. I mentioned that last week. Uh, it, of course, is also the used mo in modern time as uh, the, um, and I'm talking now the Cal, uh, you know, the, the Calcedusus, Ducius, the Calducius, uh, or, or Caduceus. The Caduceus um, uh, with the pole and the two serpents and the two wings, uh, how that they use it in modern uh, medicine, but is actually uh, an incorrect symbol that they tried to copy from the Bible, but uh, it is uh, just not uh, not a, tr a true uh, uh, depiction. Now, the Bible talks about the fathers, and it's mostly talking about those connected to the Jewish. But over time, there have been other kinds of fathers, like, uh, you know, uh, Strabo, father of geography, uh, uh, Hippocrates, a father of medicine, um, um, Herodoto, uh, father of history, um, Plato, father of philosophy, and uh, Pythagoras. Uh, he was sort of like a father as a great, uh, uh, a great instructor. And um, it's um, very interesting all of the connections and how extent how extensive that they are they're they're very very extensive uh, as I said it um, today represents the the Hippocratic uh, oath uh, the Caduceus pole and uh, the only thing is is that it's it's not the way that Moses made it uh, they mistakenly took the word seraph, uh, which comes from the word seraphim, which a person, as I gave you last week, can, can look at Strong's 8314 and verify that, that the word seraph actually means seraphim, and, um, which are a type of angels. And, and Moses showed, uh, you know, these, 
this angel with his foot on the head of the serpent that was wound around the pole, which is a prophecy given in Genesis. And that has been lost. There are so many things that have been lost that it is uh, it's scary to think about it. You know, it, it's, it's scary to think about the things that have been lost. It, it's, uh, it's scary and it's sad. So the swastika and the um, uh, caduceus um, is tied into the cross. And there are many different shapes of crosses and crosses that existed long before uh, Jesus was on the cross. And in John 3.14, as I showed you last week, Jesus predicted, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And uh, when people have interpreted that, they have just thought that basically Jesus is going to be lifted up like a, like a, like a serpent or a snake. Uh, and, and what a shame that is, because most of your preachers, that's what they believe. He's going to be lifted up like a snake. But it's talking about he's going to be lifted up like a, a seraphim, like an angel seraphim, uh, with his foot on the head of the serpent. And uh, that is quite, the different, uh, quite different. And uh, <clears throat> you can look at th these scriptures, John 3, 14, um, he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw him into me, John twelve thirty two, And look at this thing on the, uh, the Caldusius, uh, the, the snake on the pole, uh, and the angel uh, in um, Numbers 21, 8 through 9, and 2 Kings 18, 4. Um, we remember that in Revelations 12, 9 through 15, that it talks about the old serpent called the devil and Satan. This, the, the swastikas has been used as a cross and on a flagpole. Uh, it has many shapes and forms. And I quoted last week where the importance of the cross, you know, Jesus said, he that taketh not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Uh, Matthew ten thirty eight and um, Ma uh, Mark... Um, uh, 1624, if any man w will follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And there's just uh, just so so many important connections that uh, it is a shame if anybody if anybody you know misses any of them. Um, in uh, Ephesians 2:16, and and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the entity thereby, so that the cross is a tool to be able to reconcile both God in one body on the cross and is connected with the uh, power of having slain the enemy, you know, the entity uh, that is called enmity. Okay, we have to keep moving here because time is running. So um, we then got into talking about um, 
the um, the pillars of Jachin and Boaz uh, that were put by Solomon at the entrance of the temple, and uh, we you can find that in First Kings seven one, uh, both about Boaz and 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 uh, Jachin, and we explained how that Boaz, uh, you know, um, was the name of the fellow who was the father of David's father. And that can be found in the book of Ruth. And so that there was an important connection. Uh, and that that connection is very important. In Revelations 22.16, it said, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And there is such incredible revelation in that, that, at the, that not only is he the offspring of David, but he is the root and the offspring. And in that sensational revelation, the scripture was given by the Holy Spirit. So we see that this thing with Boaz then is tied into a message that is to be brought to the churches. And it has to do with root and offspring. And you'll see later how important this thing of root and offspring is as I get into some other aspects of this whole story. There are also subliminal messages uh, that are put in the Bible. And, and that is written there for those who uh, would not be blind and would not be de deaf to the deep word of God. And uh, that we're willing to not only get into the offspring, but into the root. And uh, to, you know, really, really see, see these truths. Uh, the Bible says in Revelation 3.12, He that overcomes, come, he that overcomes, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And that's a, such a beautiful verse, you know. Uh, I gave you the scripture in Nehemiah 11.10 where there was an actual person by the name of Jachin, Jachin, and he was a priest. Well, actually, you know, he was connected with a whole order of priests. And so this thing with the, the, um, the two pillars, one representing, you know, uh, the offspring the, 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 and the root and, and offspring of, of David uh, connected to Jesus Christ, uh, the King Jesus, King Lord, and then the other representing the priest, uh, which the priests, as I've explained before, uh, they represent the church, and the church is symbolized by the woman, and the the woman is the queen. So the real message there of uh, of uh, Boaz and Jachin is the king and queen ministry, and uh, this is a. Uh, uh, a forever revelation, uh, like in, um, you know, Psalms one nineteen eighty nine. Forever, O Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven, and we know these things uh, that are the word of God can never be lost because of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit, when it comes, it will restore, uh, you know, the memory. And it is a kind of uh, memoir, uh, M-E-M-W-H-W-A-H. -E uh, uh, 
M-E-M-W-A-H, memoir. And uh, so going on now is this interpretation of the lost book of the War of, of uh, Gods. I, I want to read, and, and you're probably going to hear this verse. You've already heard it many times. But it is an extremely important verse to know because otherwise you can't even know the reasons why we need to understand all the things we do. But in Ephesians six twelve, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Now some of the people that get so stirred up and so angry when they are dealing with um, you know, uh, people who are involved in politics and government and who they think are, you know, the, the chief makers of, of um, destructive ideas and, and perhaps wars and, and, uh, and thieves of their money and all that. The Bible wanted us to understand something. It says, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. If you are calling yourself a Christian, and you are entangled in a major effort of wrestling against the flesh and blood of human mortal entities. You are doing what the Bible says not to do. Paul says, we wrestle not. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Well, who do we wrestle then with? against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In fact, I will tell you, that you people that have involved your life and dedicated your life to uh, uh, spending your time knocking, putting down, dissenting uh, from these other human beings, and you are basically putting on them the errors and, and, and the mistakes and blaming it on them, uh, you are failing the revelation and, and uh, you are failing the opportunity to be endued with power to be able to overcome these principalities because you are doing the thing that, if, that the Bible says you should not do and that is set as a precedent of understanding that that is one of the keys for being able to be a warrior against the powers of darkness and the principalities of darkness that are evil that we are supposed to be wrestling with and supposed to be warring against uh, in the Holy Spirit. And so uh, those people that are going to war against the, the powers and principalities of darkness, it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So that's the criteria. If you're wrestling against flesh and blood, then you are not accepted by God to wrestle against the principalities and the powers of darkness because you are too confused about the issue. And God doesn't want a bunch of confused soldiers, just like Gideon, when he chose those people that would be in his army, he, he, he peeled that large number down that just uh, went to drink and just went right at the water as though that that was the only thing and just were gobbling it down uh, like in a panic. He chose those that 
would put their hand down in the water and bring the water up to their lips and, and, and be, be looking around to make sure that there wasn't an enemy out there getting ready to take advantage of them at the water hole. Because anyone knows, even in the animal world, uh, when animals go to drink, that's one of the places that predators wait and, and destroy uh, uh, to uh, you know, get their, uh, their meal. It's part of their predation. Okay, so we want you to be sure you get that point, uh, you know, because it is so extremely important. Okay, all right. Now, <clears throat> the pillars of Boaz and Jachin, uh, they were or, uh, uh, ornamented. Uh, they were um, uh, at the top of the, uh, of the, the um, pillars, there was this ornate uh, lattice network. You can read that in First Kings seven seventeen, sort of like a a checker work, but it was it was a lattice. The lattice in our teachings, we show that uh, that that uh, that is connected with the human lattice, and so uh, uh, which is you know genetic disposition and uh, many things along that line. Uh, it is so important then when we connect the idea of the pillars uh, all the way to to uh, Jesus Christ, uh, the Boaz name and and the uh, Jachin name, uh, the King and the Queen Ministry, and and when we c connect it like that, it just makes a a beautiful truth reality uh, because uh, right there on. Uh, those the top of those pillars is this written word by by these pomegranates uh, and and vines uh, that are strung up in an ornamented way uh, or innate way uh, to to make this lattice network, which is a message written with with fruit and vine about our our human nature. And how that this kings and queens ministries entails the root and offspring of David revelation and the the priest revelation that has to do with representing the church, like in the scripture that says that he sent his angel into the churches, and the church the symbol of the church is the woman, and the woman then is the queen. And so it's not just a one-sided thing, you know. You you shall be kings and priests, and that's just a man thing. No, you shall be kings and queens, and that incorporates both the man and the woman. Uh, and and that is the Bible from the beginning that a man, when he marries a woman, that they will no long, longer be individualized. They twain become one. So you have the double aspect of connection. And and uh, you'll see as I go on with this, uh, you know, Jachin can mean to establish, uh, you know, like uh, this old, old thing of, of what the job of, of the woman is, what the queen is. And um, now, <clears throat> there, are, there are more things than a person would ever begin to realize. You can find in the Bible uh, this convert that came out of, of, of Asia Minor, Minor and... Uh, she, uh, her, her name was, uh, was Lydia. And, and uh, you know, that's uh, a name that can be found uh, 
right in in the Bible. It's uh, it's very very important for for people to you know, understand. Even like when um, when when God was re- revealing things, um, you know uh, about the uh, the uh, the Lydia or the Laodicean, uh, you know uh, uh, revelations. Um, like in the Bible, you find this. Um, uh the the in in the book of revelations this revelations uh, this revelation about laodicea and uh, uh this is um is now a deserted heap of ruins that the that the, the turks uh have recognized it have, as having been an old castle uh you know but but uh um according to uh, uh comments uh, about the church at Laodicea in the book of Revelations. Uh, the, the congregation consisted of what uh, in Revelations three fourteen through 22, uh, the Bible called lukewarm Christians. And he says, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out. And, uh, and we find then that uh, Laodicea, you know, um, that there was a church, you know, uh, in the book of Revelations three fourteen through twenty two, called the Laodicean, and uh, we we find that um, that that you know this had a connection to this whole revelation of Turkey because at one time the 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 country where the Laodicean church was uh, was uh, under the dominion of uh, of uh, uh, you know of uh, uh, Lydia. And uh, which was the uh, the the dominant power uh, of uh, the the of King Gyges and his offspring. So uh, it's not just uh, uh, you know a simple Simon thing. Now, why don't we know more about these things? Well, uh, in Colossians one seven and four seven through fifteen. It speaks about a letter addressed to the Laodiceans by Paul, uh, sp- particularly in um, in Colossians four sixteen, and that it had uh, been lost. Um, uh, Paul, uh, uh, you know, has a ministry to all these different uh, places that he goes, uh, you know, but but uh, somehow. Uh, this work that he was involved with, with the Laodiceans, um, you know, he had written a letter to them. Just think if we had lost any of those other epistles, you know, like Ephesians, uh, any of those had just been lost and we never had them. What a, a treasure of riches we would not have to garner. Well, uh, in addition to being there being the lost book of the wars, of of the of the of the gods, there's a, a lost book that was written to Laodicea. No doubt would have entailed information about the connection uh, in in uh, of these of all these churches, you know, that are described in the Book of Revelation and that are all connected to you know uh, from out of Sardius, which was the capital of the the uh, uh, the Lydians. And uh, which sometimes are just called lug, L-U-L-U-D, and um, it it is just so awesome uh, 
that it is uh, it's just about beyond uh, you know comprehension. Uh, so we know that in Proverbs, as I'm going to take a break here in a minute, but in Proverbs it talks about uh, hewing out the seven pillars, so that uh, there is a real meaning of 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 the revelation of the pillars. And I read you the scripture in Revelation about that we will be, that he will make us the, that overcome a pillar in, in God and in the church. So this thing of the pillars is more than we can even cover just in such a, a, a short thing. Christians are people that are supposed to be under the authority of the religious sect. Um, <coughs> cause a lot of their own problems. And Jesus foresaw that. Uh, the um, the Ark of Titus in the city of Rome memorializes the victory of the Roman emperors uh, Vespasian and Titus over the Jewish rebellion. <coughs> it was a Jewish rebellion, rebellion that brought on uh, the the emperors coming with their great Roman army and in 78 D crushing them. Well, we've got to move on. We're going to take a little break here before we get into this other part of the revelation. God bless you. Hang in there because we are about to open up the book.
All right. Thank you again, Janet Lee. So the book of the war of the gods, the interpretation thereof. You know, um, <clears throat> there's a lot in the Bible about the war. Revelations 12, 7, Michael fights the dragon uh, in heaven. Uh, Revelations 19, 19, the beast and kings gather to make war against the white horse rider. Um, Revelation 17, 12, 14, the horns uh, and, and the lamb at war. Revelations 11, 7, the beast ascends from the pit. Uh, Revelation 9, and, uh, and uh, uh, kills uh, the, uh, the two witnesses. Um, it just goes on and on and on, uh, this thing throughout the Bible about, about the wars. And uh, it's, it's not a minor subject, and so uh, it's, a, it's a thing that we have to understand and connect to, to uh, you know, the understanding of, of the world, meaning of the world. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel. You're going to be confronted by incredible forces and powers. We, we talked about, um, in, in addition to this revelation that I spoke to you about, the Akava, Solution of the Riddles, we also talked about the sensational uh, key that God gave us with the word and, A-N-D, as a sen, uh, senectaki, and uh, how that it's like a uh, you know, good-sized ellipsis. Like, uh, if, you, if you see the word and preceding uh, a sentence of other uh, sayings, it can be applied in a way uh, that, like what the and is, and always adds something, uh, you know. And uh, it, it, when it's a, a, a synecdoche, it means that um, there, it has a part in the in the verse that is going to speak in the verses it's going to speak it has a part of uh, of a revelation but there are other parts that belong to that part that you need to have to fulfill it and it's sort of like an uh, ellipsis uh that you know like you have say three dots and it says okay there's more to this subject there's more to come this isn't all. There's more to come. Well, the and tells us, with, with, which uh, is a uh, synodaki, that, uh, that this is only a part, and there are other parts that belong to this, and that you need those other parts in order to be able to have a full understanding. Well, that is where uh, the, uh, the Akava uh, solution to the riddles comes in, is to have these other parts that are otherwise lost or, or missing. And that is where uh, we are coming, you know, into this to be able to uh, really bring you into the kind of introduction that you want. Now, if you will turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus and looking at chapter 3, our subject uh, that we're going to get into, and you will find it very extensive, is about the burning bush exactly what the burning bush was. And, and uh, um, I have spoken on this subject a long time ago, but not as extensive as I am going to today. Uh, but it is a subject I have to go over because it really is a part of the knowing of the lost book of the wars of the gods. And, um, 
and you need to really understand and to know what what it really represents. And when you hear this today, you are going to really understand. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of, of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb, H-O-R-E-B. Now, this word led is uh, L-E-D, is a very important interesting word. It is not just a, uh, a minor statement there, but it, it represents uh, that um, he did something um, forcefully uh, using his authority and his power. Uh, he did something that normally uh, would not maybe be done with the, with the sheep uh, of his father-in-law. He took them to the other side of the desert. And uh, uh, this lead is tied into the word lead. Uh, um, what he was really um, in charge of was to protect the shepherds that were working for, uh, you know, um, Jeshro. Uh, he was protecting, he was, his job because of his incredible military capability that uh, that he had as being a commander of uh, of of, an, of the Egyptian army when they went to war against the um, uh, the uh, into Africa uh, against the Ethiopians uh, and you know there's an incredible story there and one day we will open up that whole part of the story uh, we'll just see when that comes and and so forth so Little words like led means that like he he was working for his father-in-law, but his thing was like when he first met some of the daughters of the father-in-law that uh, uh, the other shepherds from other groups would not let them get to the water until they were all done. Then they would have, so they would have to wait and lose a lot of time, maybe even go back uh, to their home in the darkness when it was more dangerous, you know. And uh, uh, Moses came, and with his physical capability and war-like capability, uh, he stood up for the for the daughters of Jethro, and uh, he, um, uh, you know, showed them uh, a time of peace. They shared that with their fa father, and then uh, they invited uh, Moses to come and live with them, which he did. And one of uh, the daughters of of uh, Jethro, uh, that's J E T H, Jethro R O, uh, uh, married uh, Moses and had children. So um, this word "led" is not is not just simple. He he actually went quite a distance from the territory of, of uh, Midian to get over to the backside of this mountain. And, and, and it's there that he saw the burning bush. So something was impelling him. And even in that word lead, the word impel is part of the, of the meaning of that word lead. You know. So he was impelled by something within himself that he felt as a destiny, and he he, I'm sure, against the will of the other shepherds that were with him, uh, 
led them over the to the other side of the desert uh, quite a feat really and and but you know to a really wonderful pastor uh, that uh, uh, for sure was at the base uh, of of uh, of the mountain and uh, we're we're uh, just barely getting started here and we run into a word like that then we get to the back side of the desert in in chapter 3 verse 1 uh, and he, he comes to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Now, before that Moses had uh, done anything there on that mountain, supernatural, spiritual, it was already called the mountain of God. Someone says, yeah, but that was talking about pagan gods. You don't know that. It's just like on Mount Hermon. Yes, there are pagan gods that set up uh, their places of worship there, but it was also a very spiritual, uh, you know, mountain to to the good God, you know, the 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 heavenly God, the Almighty God, and and um, and interesting. There is a there is a parallel because you have uh, the Mount Hermon, and it has three mountain peaks. Then, in addition to the three mountain peaks, uh, it it has. Uh, this other connection with with uh, you know smaller hills that are connected to it called the Goland Heights. Well, in at Mount Horeb, there was a mountain that was about thirty miles in circumference, and it had uh, several peaks on it. One peak was called Horeb. And another peak, which was was a taller mountain, Horeb was, you know, only a little over two thousand feet high, but the other peak was Sinai, and it was like you know, uh, several thousands of feet high, and uh, and uh, it was all part of the same mountain, and then there was um, uh, the Sinai Peninsula, where this was located, Sinai Peninsula, which although it's in Sinai, it's a separate part from the Sinai uh, that a lot of people have come to believe that when Paul wrote about that, that uh, you know, that Sinai was in, in uh, Mount Sinai was in, the, in, in Sinai, meaning the Sinai Desert. Uh, but that is true, except they think in terms of the, of the modern Sinai, which is Saudi Arabia. And 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 do not realize that back then, uh, Sinai also incorporated the peninsula, where where this uh, Mount uh, Horeb and and the Sinai, uh, so they're all part of the same mountain, and that's why many of your scholars say that Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb are mean the same thing. They, they both mean the same. Well, they do mean the same mountain, except there's different parts of that mountain that have peaks on it, some lower, some higher. So it, that is an important thing to understand. Verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, and this means Moses looked, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, 
God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am, Lord. Now, first off, we have the singular bush, the bush. But it could just as easily be the bushes. Uh, like, for instance, if you said the tree, or it could be the trees of a forest. And and the way it is in Hebrew and also in the ancient Greek is that a lot of the terms that are in a singular uh, are, are, are used uh, by the same word that means plural, and the way you make the determination is the co contextual decision. <coughs> so context decides whether it's plural or not. Now, in the Strong's Concordance, they do list a couple other words, and they call it bushes. But that was really not quite a proper thing to do because um, those were entirely different words with, with uh, different additional kind of meanings. So that wasn't really a plural of the first word uh, uh, because the first word contained within its own self the ability to be considered either, uh, either singular or plural. And uh, if we have time, we'll get into a little bit of that. Now, th now this is very important, you know, uh, because when it talks about, you know, that he came out of a bush, it's like saying, uh, you know, uh, this angel uh, was in the forest of trees. He came out of the, the bushes. He was in the b middle of the bushes. And, and uh, we just, we just want to understand that. Now, even... Uh, the the Mount uh, Mount um, uh, Horrid, uh, the very name, the very name for that mountain, means uh, you know like uh, burning sun. Uh, it 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 it's it's um, it's basically uh, thought by many to mean glowing heat of the sun. Glowing heat of the sun. Now, the sun is a really big factor here. And because of the sun, there were, of course, on Horeb, other kinds of religious cults that believed in and worshipped the sun. Uh, uh, and so, you know, you're, you're always going to have a, a confusion and, a, and, and a, a mixing of the good things and the bad things. Uh, but, you know, God doesn't turn away and say, oh, well, the devil and his imps have got that now, so we'll just have to go and find some other place. No, God is more of, of a warrior than that. And uh, so, you know, he, he, he gave Moses the right uh, to, to, uh, to receive uh, on uh, the uh, Horeb Sinai mountain. And uh, it's so very, very important. So if we were to to read, um, you know, uh, like if we were reading the, the Lost Book of the Wars uh, and doing it in the interpretation, um, we would read, and there was heard a voice that spoke and said, I am and I am. I am the Father and I am the Son. Then suddenly, during the tribulation of Israel in Egypt, a dark spirit of the principality set Un's self to destroy the faith of the people of Israel. So it was the dark spirit said, I will destroy their newborn children, 
for none of them shall escape. However, Moses, as a little baby, you know the story, was put in this this unsinkable cradle and put out in this lagoon and then later found by a princess, uh, one of the Egyptian daughters of the pharaoh, and raised. And uh, so uh, there we have already a war, a big war going on. And let's go on. And, now that's the Senedaki, and that's right in the scripture here. And the angel of the Lord appeared, uh, chapter 3, verse 2, and then in um, chapter 3, verse 8, which is all connected to the same incident here, and I am came down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So we have this thing about come down, and, and there is an insinuation there of something then that wasn't just already standing around on the earth, but was up in an elevated area, and it came down. Uh, we're going to see from the scriptures that this thing that came down had a metallic surface to it, and, and it reflected the desert sun as a flaming fire. So the Zith landed among the area of of the many thorn bushes. These were thorn bushes. And we'll discover the words for that. And it was so that the appearance of the sun's reflection was as though the, the bush or bushes close uh, to the zith um, were radiating uh, with the reflection of the sun. And, 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 and um, <clears throat> so that the um, the bush or bushes appeared on fire. Now, we know that this thing of the appearance of fire and flame and lightning is a common thing in the Bible. Uh, Ezekiel 1.4 and uh, that this whirlwind came as an appearance of a flash of lightning. And, um, and we, see, we see, you know, all these, these connections. So if we were to look into the word used uh, in this uh, uh, chapter 3 of Exodus, we, we, would, uh, we would discover like the word flame, uh, 3851, uh, which is from 3827 in the Hebrew concordance of Strong's, uh, that is about the flame, which means a gleam, a flash of a polished blade, or point of a weapon, a flame bright and glittering. So when we really dig into the words, we end up with there being a substance, like the hard metallic um, part of a spear. Uh, that's very, very important because, you know, when we think of the teaching that we did about the duality, how that even on the Ark of the Covenant, there's the two uh, seraph angels, and how that these that when Lucifer fell from heaven, his the the uh, cherubs that were co-owned to him were also cast out with him, and and so that there that when the war has taken place, it's not just been 
Lucifer alone, but Lucifer and his angels fought with Michael. Of course, he was defeated. And and we also then have that in that duality, uh, you know, uh, Mahanaim, the two camps of the different angels that it speaks of in the Old Testament. Uh, the, the uh, you know, the, the as I said, the Ark of the Covenant with the two angels. The... Uh, uh, at the ouster uh, uh, that happened in the Garden of Eden, the two cherubs with flaming swords. And uh, when we look up some of the meanings of rod, uh, it has the potential for being uh, many, many different things. And here we see that this flame then uh, can represent something of a totally different uh, than than what we think of as a flame of fire. Um, and th- this is this is what the word means. So we're taking these words from the Bible, but, you know, uh, we are putting them into, uh, you know, a, a synecdoche. Uh, we are putting them into uh, uh, the uh, uh, understanding of the uh, akava, a solution of a riddle uh, to answer things that have not, you know, been really understood. And we see right from this 30, 3851, which is from 3857, that 3857, you know, uh, is is telling us what it is. And and uh, that is something of substance that is that could be seen. Uh, there was something that, you know, had a metallic, metallic uh, aspect to it. Then in 3352, um, we see that the flame, you know, could be, as I already have read, but also is verified as a, as a head of a spear. So the angel of the Lord appeared unto Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush or the bushes. So this, this flame that was reflecting was reflecting not only on the thorny parts of the bush but was reflecting on the the zith z z i t h the zith is what a lot of people call a ufo but don't go away wait till i show you the scriptures here because you're going to be flipped because what actually came down and that Moses saw and didn't understand when he saw that this flame happening, we know that it wasn't a regular kind of fire, like something set on fire. How do we know that? Because the Bible says that although there was this flaming and what appeared to be like burning, and of course, what is burning that's a part of that light is the light of the sun. And and this is located at this mountain that I just read to you that is known to represent this incredible heat uh, of the sun. It, 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 it is an area that just is um, exceptional uh, as regards the, the heat that comes down in that part of the desert and, and uh, you know, uh, is a, a, like a glowing heat of the sun. And that's what the very word Horeb, the name of that mountain, uh, means the glowing heat of the sun. It was a really, really hot place. And so you've got all this 
strong shining that is reflecting from the the metallic aspect of the uh, of the zith, and and uh, and that is shining out uh, of the, across where the the thorns of of the the bushes are, uh, where this uh, zith. Uh, spacecraft is landed in the middle of those bushes. It evidently was a spot there that it could that it could uh, come down and land in. Doesn't need they don't need a runway like airplanes use, and uh, so that's just all you know. So the angel of the Lord appeared unto Moses in a flame, in a flame of fire. Second verse, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. So it, when you looked at the bush as the burning bush, and when it says that the burning bush, that he appeared in the burning bush, he only appeared in the burning bush in the sense that he appeared in the flame of fire that came out of the midst of the bushes. You got that? <clears throat> That's quite a difference. That's what the Bible says right here. I just read it to you. It is emphatic what it says. Now, and Moses was not understanding really what was going on there because uh, he'd seen mirages that were caused by the sun. He'd seen all kinds of things from being in the desert as much as he was. But this was something else that was there. There was a like a foreign object there that was reflecting the sun in a way that he had never seen the sun reflected. And 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 uh, you know it was called um, a flame, but it was a gleam and a flash of the of of the sun radiating against the metallic uh, aspect as described in. 3851 and 3352 of the Strong's uh, Hebrew Concordance. And the Lord, angel of the Lord, angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. So it was the flame that was in the midst of the, midst of the bushes. Now, it's not talking about the midst of a bush. And that is just a problem with the translation because they put the word uh, in here in the second verse in the midst of a, a bush. But when you really read it, the proper term is, is the definite uh, identity of the word. Uh, like verse 3, at the, uh, why the bush is not burned. Are burnt, and and you you as you read out, on down into into the scripture, it uses the word the in front of it, not a, and so uh, that is in there far more times than the word a is. So that's actually not uh, a proper translation, is but it is a style that would be done in a transliteration of English or a transliteration from. 
you know, the Latin or the Hebrew into, into English. And so we're just dealing with the transliteration there. We have to get around those things. And we can by, by sticking with the uh, context where we see that there are several places that it, it is very, uh, the definite article is used. The definite article, not A, but the definite article, V, is used and has the preponderance of use in the, uh, in the uh, text of the scripture, which is called the context. And so there, then, we see that we're talking uh, V, and, and that is ascribing to a particular set of location. That set of location is a location of these bushes, and in the midst of them, where this zith metallic object was, that the flame of fire, uh, which was the reflection of the hot sun, on this uh, metal object, which was a zith, was situated in the midst of these bushes. Okay, now, let's move on. Uh, <clears throat> we've got the scripture there uh, that I've given you. Uh, you can... Uh, also read about Mount Sinai, where the where the the uh, uh, ten words, or as they call it, the the Exodus, uh, or the pardon me, the commandments were received. You can check that out. Uh, in addition to uh, Exodus three one, uh, Exodus eighteen uh, five, where it uses the word Sinai instead of Horeb. Okay. But uh, these these are just all so very very important. Now, Bush. Um, you know, um, this was a thorn bush, um, because if we check all the scriptures out that go with it, uh, it, it definitely shows that, that, uh, you know, it is that type of a, that type of a thing that it, it, it you know, has a, a, you know, a thorn to it. So Bush, uh, from the number 5572, um, <clears throat> Uh, of Strong's Concordance uh, is relative to number 5573 uh, and uh, it connects uh, but and also has the term uh, potential for a thorn and uh, and then uh, bushes 1780 a bush a shrub a plant uh, and it's from 7878 uh, and it means to ponder, to commune, to pray, to talk with. So even incorporated in the, the meaning that is given here to these particular kind of bushes that are on the, at the base of the mountain of God, they are a peculiar, unusual type of bushes. And uh, uh, so far I've found no one that can tell me, uh, you know, the height of the bushes, uh, the, the size of them, but we know that that uh, that in the world there is a, um, uh, a a shrub or a bush that's called the burning bush, and it can get as high as fifteen feet. It could be like a small tree, and <coughs> it can have um, all kinds of uh, a flowering uh, uh, flowers on it that are quite beautiful. That, of course, is a different shrub, a different bush than the actual burning bush described uh, in the Bible. But this particular bush is really, really different 
because uh, when you get into this, uh, you know, uh, 7880 and 7878, uh, I think it is, if I'm my number's a little messed up looking there, it can mean to ponder, to commune, to pray, to talk with. So uh, we're definitely dealing with a thorn bush. Uh, we're definitely dealing with something, though, that is really different uh, and it's, it's uh, you know, really worth uh, uh, thinking about and considering uh, in the aspects of uh, all that it can mean. Um, you know, um, uh, there is a, an understanding that sometimes things can be happening in triplicate, uh, like the burning bush uh, being uh, containing with, within it a manifestation not only of this metallic ob object, but at the same time, uh, it being enlightened with the Shekinah glory, uh, so that that uh, that was all a part of what uh, was happening. It's like the the scripture in Genesis one three that says, "Let there be light," and there was light. Uh, it has been proposed by certain scholars that that there is a, a masculinity uh, aspect uh, that could that could and, and should be presented that is actually enfolded within the derivative aspect of that uh, that uh, uh, sentence so that instead of it just saying let there be light uh, it, it could and should say let him speaking of God be light and he was light and uh, that's quite different and, and quite unusual has a certain uh, uh, beauty to it with, without any any doubt at all uh, I just, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> so the flames of fire, the burning thorn bush, and the flaming sword in the Garden of Eden, in a certain way, are very relative to having a meaning of the same thing. So in, uh, in the uh, understanding of this bush, you look at the word, um, you know, of the, of, the, of the Sinai bush in Strong's Concordance, Concordance 5514, uh, you know, a derivative, uh, uh, it, it, it clearly is, uh, um, it clearly is a connection to the thorn and connects to the word S-E-N-E-H, sene, uh, as meaning thorn bush. S-E-N-E-H, Seneh, meaning thorn bush. So all of that kind of information is, is there. It's not, it's not hidden. And we see in Deuteronomy 4.11, the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven. Now, if you had a mountain that was volcanic and it was burning to the up and to the heavens, uh, and, and um, uh, that would not be a mountain that... that that Caleb and Joshua and and Moses would be going up up to um, uh, what is being described here is some of the incredible revelations uh, you know that the Bible talks about when it speaks about uh, fire like for instance the word seraphim the the seraphim angels uh, literally means the burning ones 
and you can see uh, things about the seraphims, Ezekiel 1, 4 through 25, Isaiah 6, 2, and Revelations uh, 4, 68. <clears throat> now, some people say, no, th these bushes were just little lowly bramble type of thorn bushes. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So if they're just little things like about a foot and a half tall, uh, and then the angel appears in them, uh, was this a small angel? Or was it a towering angel, and, and those bushes were just down at his feet? I think, you know, there has to be a, a, a clarity of understanding to really, to really uh, uh, get into the depths of, of the reality, uh, you know, and, and the meaning of the word fire, which we're going to expand on here, you know. Uh, <clears throat> the, the, this kind of fire was so incredible of its glowing and divine nature then in uh, Exodus 18:16, the people requested to not see this great fire anymore, and and uh, so there are many interesting things, you know, about it. Um, also in Deuteronomy 4:15, it it says something very strange: saw no figure or manner of likeness; you only heard Yahweh's voice. Well, that has to be thrown into the contextual. Uh, to understand exactly what that means, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we we will we will get to it in Revelations ten one through three. Uh, you know, it talks about uh, the countenance like lightning. Uh, Re Revelations twenty one nine through ten, a face like the sun. You know, uh, these scriptures are 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 all there. You know. Uh, you know, it talks about the, uh, in Isaiah 31, 10, the smoke that shall go up forever. You know, that's not literal smoke. So it's talking about Shekinah, which, which smoke is another word, uh, often used to describe the Shekinah, the Shekinah. So these are not just simple Simon statements. They're major and they have a lot to do with a lot of things. Let's look at the word fire. Uh, if you take the um, Elif Shin, uh, you know, and you take uh, the word E-S-H, Ish, 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 it means fire, E-S-H, Ish, and you find that in number uh, 784 of Strong's Hebrew, and it means Ish, means fire. Now get, get on to this, listen to this carefully. Okay, um, 786 which is from 784. And remember, esh, meaning fire, is described in, in Strong's Concordance, number 784. But 786 is, comes from the root of 784, and what it means is entity. So we've got both the flame, meaning something like a, a substance metallic, and we've got the word fire actually incorporating uh, an entity. And then if we compare 3426, yesh, which has a Y before the ESH, it means to stand out, to exist, to be an entity. Now, when under certain conditions you are using terms like this, uh, like ish with the, as an adverb, it can mean like 
there is, there are, uh, and and you put that in terms of connecting with the substance. Uh, uh, it it's about it's about like an angel entity, or God is a consuming fire, and God is represented. You know, so um, you know I'm I'm basically running out of time, but I'm not going to stop because uh, I, this part is just too important to stop right here. I've got to finish out this thought, and I I hope it's not going to take too long, but I'm going to, I need, I need to finish out this thought. So we see that there is the aspect in this, in this word fire of the fire actually being a, a person. How can that be? Well, it's Bible. The Bible says God is a consuming fire. God is a consuming fire. So here we have proof that fire can be used to represent an entity, even to represent God. And this angel that comes down in the midst of the burning bushes is actually called an angel of the Lord and later actually called God because he is representing God. So in representing God, then, we have the aspect of of the fulfillment of of this word as as, uh, an entity. The fire that was coming down was as an entity. Now, it's very, very interesting when we get into this word ish, I-S-H. Um, when Adam was um, being named and being called and referred to in Genesis, uh, he was being called Adam. But after um, he gave birth to Eve, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, it started calling him man, and the meaning, the, 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 the Hebrew word used to describe him was ish. And the word that was used to describe the woman was ishaha. And so we have ish and ishaha, the man and the woman. Now, the first occurrence of ish is from the mouth of Adam. And we have an ish and man shall leave his father and mother and cling to Eshaha, to his wife. And Adam uh, and his Eshaha were both naked, or Ish and his Eshaha were both naked. <coughs> Isha is not meant to be some kind of der- derivative. It's actually meant to be a actual part of of the meaning. So, ish is used as an agent, someone who can speak or act for another. God is represented. Now, grammatically, and in a lexical uh, sense of value, uh, you do not always um, put off or pass off according to all the to the grammar rules. Sometimes what is used is a language of composition so that you are speaking like the term eka. When it says one, it actually in many places is using a compound one. So in the understanding of the language, it's very important that you understand then this meaning of the language 
so that you can understand in the, the Hebrew that the real original Hebrew is lost. It's another thing, in addition to the lost war and, and, and the lost uh, uh, letter by Paul to Lady Osea, uh, there is the loss of the language, so that they don't even know what, what the Tetragrammaton uh, is meant to be pronounced as. Because uh, even the, the language that, that they are using is, is mixed up with Chaldean. And that was not what the original Hebrew was. So a lot of these terms, you can't even go and look up the Hebrew word, you know, because it's just not there available except in fragments. And that's where this wonderful revelation of uh, Akava, solution of riddles, begins to come in and is so absolutely important uh, to, to, uh, to understand. Okay, so... Uh, Let's let's go on with this revelation of Ish, seven eighty four, uh, and uh, <clears throat> seven eighty six, which can mean entity, and as I have explained to you, now after the birth of of Eve, the Hebrew word for man is Ish, and this is how it's spelled. This would be a little difficult for some of you people that aren't aren't really understanding of of some of the Hebrew terms, but you have. The spelling of Ish is Aleph, Yod, and Sheen. And so uh, each one of those terms represents a letter, uh, one of the, the 20 uh, and some odd addition, uh, letters of the uh, Hebrew alphabet. And so, you, when you, and so the spelling then of Ish is, is um, Aleph, Sheen, and Ish. Uh, and and it and it, it uh, you know has an interesting meaning uh, because um, you know it ha contains in it the word fire. Um, now, uh, when you remove the yod from the aleph and the shum, those two words then spell ish, which means fire. So here we have the man called Ish, and the spelling of it, Aleph Yod Shin, with it's an I S H. But when you remove the Yod, and you'll you'll see why here after a little bit, then you have the the Aleph and the Shin, which then changes the I to the E and makes it the meaning of fire. The Hebrew word for woman is Isha, spelled Aleph, Shem, and He. When you remove the He, and once, once again, you have Ish, meaning fire. So, if you consider then that the, the word that is in the middle there, the Yod, that, that, that God took the first letter of His, uh, of his name, and you remember you have the Y-H-W-H, the Tetragrammaton, the name that they don't know how to pronounce. If you take the first word of it, the, the, the Yod, and you put it between the Aleph and the Sheen, uh, you make the Hebrew name for man. And if you take the second letter of the divine name 
and the heen and place it after aleph and sheen, you make the Hebrew word for woman. In that way, both man and woman retain the word fire in their names. And so you see this incredible connection then to, 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 to fire and, and all the meanings of fire, like God is a consuming fire, uh, Hebrews twelve twenty nine, Acts speaks of the tongues of fire, the baptism of the Holy Ghost in fire. Check out Acts 2, 3 and several of the verses around there. Um, uh, in, um, you know, uh, uh, an ancient scripture, Zechariah 2, 5, uh, he says, I will be a wall of fire about Jerusalem and I'll be a glory in the midst of her. Um, the term for fire in the Hebrew Bible uh, has much many deeper meanings than just literal fire. And when you're talking about a fire that does not burn up anything, and yet it's still burning and leaping and so forth, you're talking about something different in the terms of fire than a literal fire. And this, this makes so much sense what we're talking about. So the Bible talks in Exodus 34, 6 about the Lord descending in a cloud. We know that a lot of the, the terms that use cloud is actually referring to these crafts of the Lord. You know, he's coming in the clouds. Some people say, no, that's talking about, you know, regular clouds. Uh, I once ministered on that and showed you how slow the speeds, even at the fastest speed, how slow they are. And if the Lord was coming in at that kind of a speed, uh, it was contradictory to the, the, the scripture that says, you know, that, that as lightning from out of the east to the west, uh, that is how fast he's going to be traveling. And he's talking the speed of light, not the speed of a cloud. So these clouds do not are not representing, you know, the speed of a literal cloud. You know, uh, it's talking about the clouds that are, are described, like in like in Second uh, 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 Kings two eleven, when it talks about the chariots of fire, and he descends in the cloud. He's talking about descending with a chariot of fire, and and in um, uh, you know Second uh, Kings six seventeen, Elisha. Uh, you know, when he is being confronted by the army of the king of Syria, uh, he says, <clears throat> God, open their eyes and let them see what is around them. So he opened their eyes and, and they were able to see a host of a whole army with chariots of fire that was surrounding them, making their army look like nothing. Exodus 19:18 God comes down to Moses in fire on Mount Sinai. It's talking about something totally different than literal fire. It talks about pillars of fire. Exodus 14, 2 uh, 2 um, 24, Exodus 14:24. Um, it talks about the vision of God surrounded by fire. Ezekiel 1:27 a Shekinah glory type of fire. First Corinthians three twelve through fifteen. Every man's work to be tried by fire. Uh, that there's a special meaning there too. Psalms ninety seven three. Uh, the fire of God goes before him and destroys his enemies. You talk about how God planned uh, to fight the war for the children of Israel. You know. Uh, God, as a fire, goes, goes before the people, before them, and destroys the enemy. And um, 
And then it says in Hebrews 1 7 and Psalms 104 4, he makes his messengers flames of fire. And here we have this messenger coming down, the angel of the Lord, to meet, uh, to meet uh, 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 Moses. So Exodus 3 2 appeared to him in a flame of fire, uh, you know, is a whole lot different than what some people think. Exodus 13 21 through 22, by night, it talks about there was a pillar of fire, uh, you know, to give light to the children of Israel. Uh, then a cloud by day. Uh, Numbers 9.15, as it were, the appearance of fire. Judges 6.21, and there rose up fire out of the rock. Uh, and and this word mist, M-I-D-S-T, in uh, the, the Strong's 84.32, uh, to sever, a bisection, center, among, between, half into, to the middle, out of, through, within. When you see that then that by the uh, the definition of the word mist, and then you see <coughs> the meaning of the mist of the of the bushes as I describe them uh, in the middle of that just all begins to make sense, and you have the term flame, uh, you know, and and I explained that to you about it being the head of a spear, metallic, and all of that, and and um, about the bush not burning up. Uh, you know, it's obviously not a real real fire. Uh, it is it, it is a uh, uh, you know a a fire that is more of this nature, like either from in one case the radiation of the sun. Uh, that is the one aspect that is shining from the physical aspect of the metal and the physical aspect uh, of the thorns. Uh, <clears throat> but then you also have the spiritual aspect of the Shekinah glory. So we're beginning to see that by the very language of the Bible, ish, E-S-H, fire, is connected to this. Now, I'm going to try to bring this to a close, but I, I, I've got to bring this, this, this point to you because it is so very very important. Now, when we go to Psalms 68, and I've read this to you many times, you know, and I told you how the, the Mount Sinai and, and, and Hebron, that uh, Horeb, are, uh, are the same, and how that um, Horeb and, 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 um, and Sinai are this from the same big mountain, and it's a parallel to to uh, you know uh, Hermon and uh, and and its other related mountains, and it says in in Psalm sixty eight uh, uh, seventeen, the chariots of God are twenty thousand, even thousands of angels. We 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 can see that there's at least one, if not more, angels in every chariot of fire, and even thousands of angels, even uh, and. Uh, thousands of angels, the Lord is among them, as in Sinai, in the holy place. For thou hast ascended on high, and hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts of men, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Now, we see that just as Elijah went up with these chariots of fire and horses of fire, <clears throat> and that Elisha was also involved with the chariots of fire that surrounded the king of Syria and his large host army. That this example here in the 
68th chapter of Psalms makes it clear that they were there on Sinai at the time that Moses was receiving the, the, what they call the commandments. And there was 20,000 of those chariots there. So when we talk about with all these scriptures and all these renditions, we are telling the real truth. We have dug into the deep of the real truth that is there. It's just invisible to the general masses and even the scholars. It's invisible to them. But through Akava, the solution of riddles, God is bringing out these truths and showing us how that that these people were there. There was 20,000 of them. And one came down that had this, this angel who was chosen to represent God. And we can guess who that was. And he came down like in the cloud. He came down in the zith and then landed. And all those things that I described that happened, they happened based on that. And when people are denying these things about how that the angels of God are watching over the earth and how that when the, the Lord comes, you know, it's going to meet him in the sky. He's going to take people up to the sky and, and the angels are going to gather them and they're going to take them off to the Father's house. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, people of God, I'm bringing this message to a close. I've gone over but I had to do it to be complete. May God bless you. My wife will now play the organ as I'm doing prayer for you that are sick. There is a brother, uh, he's you know a prophet of the Lord. He's really, really sick. I want to incorporate him in this prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Reach out your love. Reach out your grace. Reach out your beautiful hand of mercy. Your tender, loving hand of mercy. And heal these people who are suffering and sick and fighting diseases who the enemies of darkness have attacked. Oh God, heal them and deliver them. And cause this message, oh God, to spread upon the earth and to be understood in the ears and minds of these people who have heard this message today. May God bless you. We love you. God bless you.